Hello and welcome to a, um, I'd like to say mini-sode, but it's going to be quite big, I reckon. Mm. Um, we're going to... Maxi-sode? A maxi-sode. That sounds like a feminine hygiene product. Um, so we are going to talk about, uh, now the summer's over, um, it is, even though it's the warmest it's been all year, um, yeah, in late, weird, de- late September, um, we're going to have a, a little look forward into autumn, winter. And into look, our crystal ball. Into our crystal ball. Talking about films and TV that um, we're looking forward to. Um, so there's going to be a lot of Oscar-baiting nonsense but also there's a late run of blockbusters this year which are all worth mentioning mm-hmm. um so well, i think we should probably start with talking about a film that has just smashed or is in the process of smashing records in america um and a film that we're quite maybe looking forward to yeah. uh, me somewhat less than some other people who are training it down to london to see it on the day of release etc etc yeah, but yeah. the uh, the master the paul thomas anderson film um um, tell us about it, Ed. Uh, it's the the sixth film from Paul Thomas Anderson of um, Hard Eight, uh, Boogie Nights, There Will Be Blood, Magnolia, Punch Drunk Love, that's all of them, fame. Yeah. Um, that's not, quite, quite a good... Not of uh, Mortal Kombat or Resident Evil fame. Yeah. Different Paul Anderson. Different Paul Anderson. Um, Who peaked with Event Horizon. Very much so, yes. Which featured my old uh, film studies lecturer, Sheldon Hall, in a cameo. Oh, did it really? He's did, got, yeah. he, he has a cameo in... Uh, the Three Musketeers as well. Does he? Yes. Amazing. I don't know how big. I just know that he's an extra in a wedding scene. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's a film that's had a slightly rocky road to being made. Uh, it was meant to be made about, I think it was meant to come out initially about two years ago with Jeremy Renner as one of the stars. It was going to be Philip Seymour Hoffman and Jeremy Renner and the financing fell through because um, it, they say for reasons unrelated to the subject matter, but... Far, as far as anyone's concerned, it's more than likely due to the fact that the film is at least in part inspired by the life of L. Ron Hubbard, the uh, founder of the church, in inverted commas, of mm-hmm. uh, Scientology. Um, and uh, are, we, are we saying that, um, I mean, the way that it looks, I mean, people are saying it's it's a clear um, uh, kind of uh, exposure of the Church of Scientology, whereas he's saying, you know, it's, it's based on lots of those things that are coming out at the same time. But it appears to be... Um, it appears to have a kind of uh, Hunter. No, what's his name? Um, the guy that Citizen Kane was based on. Oh, Charles Foster Kane. Char- oh, Charles no, Foster uh, Kane. Charles Foster the character. William uh, Randolph Hearst. Yes, it seems to have that kind of relationship. Yeah, I think that's that seems to be what the reviews are bearing out. That it's obviously draws its influence because Philip Seymour Hoffman plays uh, a man who has set up his own church. He's mm-hmm. a sounds familiar. Yeah. A uh, science fiction author mm-hmm. who sets up his own church. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, says that through people taking tests, they can uh, learn what's wrong with them and then uh, improve their lives. Uh, and he forms a relationship, a friendship, sort of mentor-mentee relationship with uh, Joaquin Phoenix, who's a soldier who comes back from, uh, I think it's the 50s, so he, he's either coming back from World War Two and it's like a few Korea, years, maybe. Or, or Korea, and uh, who's you know, an alcoholic drinks to try and forget all the things he saw while he was in the army and is kind of drawn to this magnetic character. So mm-hmm. I think it's the the backdrop is a Scientology style organization and an L. Ron Hubbard uh figure, but it seems that it's more about the uh the interplay between those two characters and the, the battle of wills that ensues. Much as how um Boogie Nights wasn't really about John Holmes. Mm-hmm. It was just 
uh, inspired by... And features a bit where there's some murders. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it was just inspired by the... Uh, milieu. The milieu, yes. Uh, or or the, the overall situation based on the research that uh, Anderson has done sort of mm. separate to it. Um, the reviews that were coming out of, or mainly the tweets that were coming out of Venice mm. were... I've just seen The Master. I don't understand it, but <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah. That was generally the what people were saying. Um, but I think people are rewatching it now and uncovering layers of genius. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm only going to watch it once and not understand it. Yeah. That's right. But claim to like it. Yeah. It'll be, I would say now it's my number one film of the year. <laughs> it knocked 21 Jump Street into second place. Um, but yeah, it's um, that's... The kind of prime Oscar contender, isn't it? Alongside, should we say, Lincoln? Thinks going to yeah, be the, the big one. Lincoln seems to be the more traditional one. It's got obviously the all-American subject matter of Abraham Lincoln. It's got a raft of Oscar winners, Oscar nominees. Yeah, it's written by Tony Kushner, who has, has done some decent work. I yep. think you'll find. Um, but yeah, the, the, it is a, a prestige picture, isn't it? Yeah. Whereas the Master is very much in keeping with sort of. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's other stuff. It's not been made intending to win awards. No. But the sheer kind of quality and force of it. it, Whereas Lincoln definitely sets itself up to it. It has that feel to it, doesn't it? This has been in development a long time, hasn't it, the Lincoln film? Yeah. um, uh, I think it's been a sort of a passion project for for Spielberg for quite a while. I think Liam Neeson was originally cast in the lead. I'm glad that didn't happen. A few years ago. But um, I don't know if it fell through or if... um, Spielberg got sidetracked. I think it might have been actually that Spielberg got sidetracked with the um, the problems surrounding getting Tintin financed because obviously Tintin was meant to uh, be made uh, about a year or so before it actually was. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, but I think yeah, it's one of those ones. The book that's based on uh, Team of Rivals is kind of like a, a a milestone in in modern political history, uh, all about the way in which Lincoln balanced all the different uh, people he had around him who were often uh, coming from different places politically and ideologically, but who he was able to uh, work with in order to kind of forge, you know, to, to keep America from falling apart into civil, uh, in completely and separating. Um, so it's it's something that Pretty much, I think as soon as it was published, people were like clamouring to try and ter- make the big, the great Lincoln biopic out of it. Mm. Um, in terms of other stuff, I mean, prestige pictures like Lincoln, um, what, what Life of Pi? Yeah, that that's seems a big like one. one. That's is Angley. Yes, Angley. Uh, um, Angley, the boy from uh, Slumdog Millionaire and a Tiger on yeah. a Boat. Uh, I don't, I've never read Life of Pi. Um, have you read it? Years ago, yeah. Right. It's, it's, um, it'll be interesting. It's kind of a fable more mm-hmm. than anything else because the whole idea is that uh, in the in the book, it's this lad called Pi who's the sole survivor of a shipwreck and he's relating this story to uh, a, a man investigating it. And so he tells him this story about being trapped on a boat with uh, an orangutan and a, uh, and a tiger and them uh, survive, trying to survive floating out on the water and stuff like that. And I didn't know there was an orangutan in it. Yeah, there's an orangutan in it. Wow. You don't see it in the trailer because obviously a tiger's more... Uh, so have they cut the orangutan? orangutan? No, I think the, the I think, I'm assuming the orangutan's in it because then there's less story. 
Who plays the orangutan? Is it Paul, Paul Giamatti as the orangutan? <laughs> uh, no, I don't think he's... Uh, I don't think it's been him. I assume it's going to be a, maybe a CGI orangutan uh. or maybe a real one that they cruelly make perform. Yeah. <laughs> but that one, I think it's going to be very interesting because it's not a very cinematic story. Mm. It's a very small-scale story and it's very about you know survival and sort of in ways it's about the power of of story uh as well in a way that i can't really go into without ruining everything about the book but it's a really good it's a, it's a really good book but it, you kind of wonder how because it's been something that people have been struggling to make for years m night Shyamalan was going to do it wasn't he so, yeah m night uh, Shyamalan was uh attached for a while uh i think and then they saw his films <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah. decided not to make it. So this is this has been long in gestation, like Lincoln. Yeah, and it's the one that it, of those kind of long in gestation ones, it's the one that uh, feels like it probably won't be all that good in the end. Like I, I'm sure it'll be visually like sumptuous, mm. but I, I kind of it, there's just something about the story that to me doesn't scream this needs to be a film. Yeah, because I mean it, it was a popular book, wasn't it? it but was very it was. I don't know how it will translate as a film. No. I mean, I, d- I have seen the trailer and it didn't, it didn't really. Yeah, it's kind of that one. Jolt me into action. I've heard from lots of people who haven't read the book uh, that their response is just kind of like, what the hell is that? Mm. And I think that that is a, an, a hurdle that it's going to struggle to overcome unless the next couple of trailers that come out for it. If they bring the orangutan yeah, into the... In it, the then. orangutan is the heart of the piece. Well, it worked for every which way but loose. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah. So Life of Pi, uh, Anna Karenina, which is out here now, and is yeah, doing, uh, is, has got some very nice notices. Um, it's a. Um, it looks like the film, a film that I really wouldn't enjoy watching. <laughs> is it Joe Wright? Yeah, it's Joe Wright. So he did Atonement, which was the cinematic equivalent of a cucumber sandwich <laughs> um well, well I, I like atonement but then again i like the book so yeah i mean it was just it was just it was like a cucumber sandwich i'd eat a cucumber sandwich yeah but i don't want a cucumber sandwich <laughs> and would never choose to eat a cucumber sandwich <laughs> other sandwiches are available his version of anna karenina is uh makes some interesting choices like parts of it unfold in an actual theater as if it's a production and they kind of go from the, the theatrical stuff to the more traditional stuff and so it, it's, it's it's a very theatrical thing mm. and it, it has a lot of uh from what i've i've heard it has a lot of fun with that kind of conceit right uh so rather than just do a plain costume drama yeah it boring tries, costume drama it tries to do something a little different with it and uh apparently largely succeeds i'm going to try and catch it this week sometime but um yeah, I think that one that one strikes me as being like the soloist, which was the film he did between Hannah and Atonement. Oh, with Jamie Foxx and Downey Jr. Yeah, where it's going to be one that critics say quite nice things about. But no but, one watches. Yeah, but it just kind of comes out, doesn't really do anything, and then people kind of forget about. Um, speaking of boring costume drama, yep. <laughs> segue, uh, Les Miserables is coming out at the end of the year, yep. uh, which is um, directed by... Speaking of dynamic directors, <laughs> Tom Hooper, uh, director of King's Speech, uh, yeah. is doing um, amazing cast that Les Miserables has got. Um, Which is French for The Miserables. The Miserables, yes. Um, Russell Crowe. Yep. Hugh Jackman. Yep. Anna, Hath- Anna Hathaway. Yeah, Anna Hathaway. Um, Eddie Redmayne. I'm saying it. And <laughs> okay. I, that's the only person I can remember from the trailer. Who else? Uh, pass. That's a surefire hit, isn't it? 
Yeah, it, it's obviously one of the most popular musicals ever made. Just had its 25th anniversary, I think, last year. Oh, right, that okay. That was a big, a big deal. They got the original cast back together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that will be big. Yeah, and Jackman is, uh, obviously, he's a Broadway superstar has uh, chops he has plenty of chops so i think and uh russell crowe obviously uh was in 30 odd foot of grunts great band later renamed uh the ordinary fear of god great well, because yeah, less, uh, less ungainly because um that way they didn't have to get new t-shirts made it was still the same uh acronym acronym for Excellent. them so he's a savvy businessman as well as a great singer yeah um a one-time neighbor's guester yeah <laughs> um uh, i think it yeah, I mean, I'm not a massive fan of modern musicals because they tend to be very stately mm-hmm. and they don't really embrace the exuberance that comes with the musical form. Uh, and from the trailer, it kind of looks like it's going to be that. Um, but it, it it looks very kind of regal and yeah. and kind of uh, weighty. It looks like it's Oscar Oscar Bain. Yeah, which I think... Is that always kind of puts puts me off a little bit with musicals if they try and be like super serious about it? Like you can you can make a musical that is uh, has sort of you know weighty themes and everything, but visually they need to be kind of dynamic and exuberant, and that's not really something that Tom Hooper has. Mm-hmm. Based on you know the King's Speech, uh, he's not the most lively director. No, but uh, like the material's great and the songs are great, so hopefully. Hopefully it will be at least decent, but I don't like look at that and think, you know, that's a film I have to go and see on like opening weekend. I think that's a film I will catch on TV in five years' time. Um, speaking of films that you will have to go and see. Yeah. Um, have to. You simply have to. Um, we've got the closing segment of the Twilight Saga. Yeah. So uh, although we will be separated by an ocean, yeah. we will be drawn together again when we go and see it on opening day um i'm looking forward to the conclusion of this saga i want to know what happens with her truck yes the red truck (laughs) i want to know if the dad gets through his alcohol dependency problems or if his liver just gives in just gives in um and poisons his blood so she can't drink it (laughs) and i want to know if the baby becomes a giant vampire baby (laughs) because i mean i don't know i've seen the trailer yeah and uh, looks exciting looks fun there it seems to be have the lowest rent battle of all time it seems to be 30 people in a field yeah just having a thoroughly polite dust up using uh probably the same field they've used over and over in the yeah. films but there's snow on this one. Oh, that's different yeah but this i think they'll probably bring out muse for it as yeah. well Ugh. um so yeah i mean that's a big blockbuster the kids will like i mean you will probably go and see drunk um yeah but we've also got um a little film called the hobbit Hobbit? Yes, which we have talked about at length. Yes, we've um, talked about it in an episode. Um, and, uh, yeah, well, I guess we'll see how that one goes. Yeah, I mean, I am... I'm st- I'm still trepidatious about the splitting it, because it's obviously such a slight book, and... They've got know. names now, though. Yes, they do. Desolation yeah. of Smog and the... There and Back Again. Desolation of Smog. It's a, not an easy one to say, is it? It's not. I'll have two tickets for the Desolation of Smog, please. <laughs> that does sound like a metal band. <laughs> it does, yeah. <laughs> It does sound like a death, uh, a death metal band. Mm-hmm. Um, a death metal band with th. Not, oh, right, okay. not for no worries. Um, you know, uh, you know, as we said before, it's not really. Uh, you know, it doesn't feel like there's enough material to stretch it out to three films. But I will see the first part because I want to see you know how it all turns out. Really, you know, yeah. I will you be seeing it in forty eight frames. Um, if it's available to me, probably. 
Yes. Just out of curiosity? Yeah, just to kind of see um, if it is, you know, worth the effort of trying to experiment with the number of frames per second. You know, I think it would be interesting to compare the 3D at 48 frames per second to, you know, regular 3D and see if it really does make any difference to the the smoothness of it. Do you think we can see The Hobbit in IMAX 3D and 48 frames a second? Uh, I don't know. I know that they... they well, that'd they, be just too many gimmicks. I think they have talked about how when it comes out, there'll be so many options and how to see it, it might actually be a little bit daunting. Mm. <laughs> like, you can watch it in 48 frames per second in 2D, 48 frames per second in 3D, 3D, 3D 24, 24 frames per second in 2D and 3D. It just seems... Uh, just read the book, save yeah. yourself the bother. It'll take less time than watching the films. Absolutely. Um, other um, big films in terms of kind of blockbustery ones the one that i've got down here is uh the jack reacher film one shot one shot uh which i found out just now is directed by christopher mcquarrie yeah directed oh. by christopher mcquarrie starring tom cruise and who else anyone else Werner herzog what yeah Werner herzog is the villain he's Werner herzog is in it yeah he's the villain How in, did I not know this? in one shot yeah it's. Uh, I'm now going to go and see. That. It's so crazy. It just might be really crazy. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, yeah. I wonder how, how did that come about. I've no. They can't I... have auditioned, and Herzog, <laughs> Herzog turned up and just just, was, just happened to be in town. Saw that there was an audition, and he thought, "Well, I haven't acted in a film for a while. Um, <laughs> I'll just go in on the off chance." I think they must they must have made sort of an entreaty to him and just been kind of like. Yeah, would you be interested in acting in this film? Did, was Tom that Cruise's move or was it Macquarie's move? I don't know. I think it might be Macquarie because I don't right. know. I don't think that uh, Cruise is as invested in this series as, say, the Mission Impossible. He's, films, he's not producing this, no. I don't think so. Right. Okay. Uh, it, this, I think uh, you know, Mission Impossible films are kind of his baby, whereas I think this one's more from. Macquarie, who's been attached to direct that one for a little while before right. Cruise was uh, so this cast. Is, this is based on a, um, a best-selling series of novels that no one's ever read. Um, about <laughs> my dad's read them. Yeah, it's, it's a book that dads read. Yeah, um, <laughs> and if you want to learn more about the character of Jack Reacher, just check out the Wikipedia page because it's clearly been written by someone with Asperger's. It is <laughs> absolutely brilliant. Is it? Um, it says stuff like um, Jack Reacher is not afraid to use violence. Um, but the people he uses against definitely deserve it. <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> wow. It's great. Um, so we've also got, um, in terms of um, the other end of the uh, violent action film spectrum, uh, Zero Dark Thirty, the Catherine yeah. Bigelow, Osama Bin Laden film. Yes. Um, which stars, uh, what's his face from Parks and Rec? Yeah, Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. Um, what are you expecting from Zero Dark Thirty? Uh, I'm expecting visceral action. Um, I think it's going to be interesting because... It was start. They started production before they had an ending in in real life, because the film went into production. Did before... a, a zombie do the same thing? <laughs> Have that? you seen that a zombie? No, it's the Osama bin Laden zombie film. <laughs> I've only I've only seen it for sale in Tesco's. Oh my god, I hadn't heard about that one. It's amazing. Well, it <laughs> looks sure amazing. It must be. I'm sure it's very sensitive. Oh uh, yeah, very sensitive portrayal. Of... Yeah, of uh, yeah, but yeah. that yeah, that is a thing that happened. <laughs> Wow, um, <laughs> but you know, Zero Dark Thirty was it like it was written by Mark Bowl, who who wrote the Hurt Locker, 
Um, it's the they, same. T- it's the same same combination of the Hurt Locker, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And they were um, they started work on it um, before Osama bin Laden was killed. So I can only assume that uh, that threw them in a bit of a tizzy, and that they then suddenly had to completely reshape the film. But um, you know, I think the Hurt Locker was a really, really, really good action film. I think uh, Kate Bigelow, Catherine Bigelow. Mm-hmm. I don't know her well enough to call her Kate. Kate Bigelow. <laughs> Kathy, Kathy Bigelow. <laughs> um, she's a she's a great action director. She's very good at making films about the relationship between uh, men. Uh, she's very good at, at sort of tackling masculinity, which I think uh, a film like Zero Dark Thirty is probably going to have a great deal of. Uh, uh, I think you probably get that from being married to James Cameron. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to Carl Chandler being in it. Uh, I'm a big fan of Carl Chandler. Who's Carl Chandler? He is. You'll know him as the dad from Super Eight. Oh, uh, was he in um, King Kong? Yeah, he's in King yeah. Kong. He's, the, he's the, the preening actor in King Kong. I like that guy. Uh, and he was also the thing I know him mainly from is uh, he was Coach Taylor in in um, Friday Night Lights, right? Uh, which he was great. Not on. Saturday Night Live. Not Saturday no. Night Live. I don't know. Maybe they got him in for an episode. <laughs> uh, and he's he's great in uh, Friday Night Lights. So uh, yeah, I'm really I'm always happy to see him in things. Uh, what's got the Red Dawn remake? Finally, yeah, yeah, fi- yeah. That's one that's been uh, going on for ages. Yeah, because. Um, that one got put on the shelf for the same reason that Cabin in the Woods was put on the shelf, which was that MGM had it, and then they went under. I thought you meant that there was like a Chris Hemsworth embargo going on. <laughs> but I mean, for anyone who doesn't know, Red Dawn is a, a preposterously right-wing film from the 80s, starring oh, the, so. the Brat Pack, who um, kind of uh, former uh, militia. of Called the Wolverines. The Wolverines, a militia of teenagers. <laughs> Who, who get angry because a Harry Dean Stanton dies. Yeah, and uh, China? No, Russia? Russia in that one. Yeah. Invade. Uh, invade, and they single-handedly kind of hold them off. Yeah. Um, and in the new one, it's... Is it China or Korea? Korea, oh, Korea now. Korea. Yeah. It was China. Yeah. Then they realised that China owns America. Yeah, <laughs> it does. Near enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and Take that, America. And that maybe it wasn't such a good idea to antagonise them by releasing a film in which they were invading the country so they've retroactively changed it so that they're all korean now which i think just means that they've re-recorded people's dialogue well that's that's more than i thought they'd do um, <laughs> or like they just kind of anytime someone turns their head just kind of insert insert a line it's like all these goddamn koreans <laughs> yeah. um i was i wonder with red dawn and zero dark 30 are those films going to escape or tap into the kind of uh, jingoism uh, surrounding both those affairs. Obviously, the imaginary Cold War affair of uh, mm. Red Dawn yeah. uh, compared to the uh, the quite outrageous reaction of um, or normal American citizens to some, Osama bin Laden's death. Yeah, I think Do you think they'll avoid that, or do you think it'll be a bit more... I mean, Bigelow's got a more, yeah, I think more Big- nouse than that. Yeah, I think Bigelow, based you know on the Hurt Locker, which wasn't a jingoistic one, and it could very well have been, that mm-hmm. was obviously more concerned with the actual uh, sort of day-to-dayness of being a soldier. Mm-hmm. I think that one will be more straight ahead and will try not to be politicised. I get uh, the feeling Red Dawn will probably be more jingoistic, just because... I hope so. ...the... It'd be in keeping. I mean, the story itself obviously draws upon jingoism, and it was massively jingoistic uh, in the 80s. I think uh, John Milius probably bought into the whole neocon thing mm-hmm. about Russia being this massively powerful enemy, which it wasn't. Um, 
uh, and this seems to be more of the same, especially considering North Korea not the greatest military power in the world. Certainly, no. I mean, they despite could, the parades, they I'm could, not convinced. I mean, they could take over a small California town. Mm-hmm. I'm not. No one's denying. Not if Clint Eastwood's the mayor. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> if they go for Sacramento, With Carmel. Yeah. <laughs> oh, is it Carmel? Yeah, they used it used to be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, um, moving on from um, the Cold War and the Red the Red Terror <laughs> um, is um, a very peculiar decision we just found out before we did this is that Cloud Atlas, the well, what could be disastrous adaptation of the sprawling book, but also could probably might be a stroke of genius, but who knows? Probably be yeah. nothing. It'll be a massive mess. Um, there's a there's us going out on a limb with a prediction there <laughs> um, that that is being released at the end of October in America, but we don't get it in the UK until March next year. Yeah, that which, is a massive gap. Well, you've is, got nothing to worry about because you're emigrating too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's a strange one because um, a the book was written by David Mitchell, who's a British author, mm, star, oh, so, star of Peep Show. Yeah, star of Peep Show, Mister Victoria Corrin. Yeah, um, lucky bastard. I know she's uh, she's great, punching <laughs> above his weight. Um, he uh, yeah so it's obviously based on a British book uh, or uh, written by a British novelist Uh, was a big hit over here so you'd Mm -hmm. think that it would make sense to release at the same time but also because of the nature of the film and you know if you've read any reviews of it uh, they are very diametrically split Mm -hmm. between those who say it's a like crazily audacious near masterpiece and people say it's just awful yeah, um, and <laughs> and some people who say both of those things, right? <laughs> they say that you know there are some parts of it that are just astonishing, and there are some parts of it which are just interminable. Uh, which, to be honest, is exactly kind of what I expected it to be, uh, based on the book mm. uh, and the uh, issue with adapting it for the screen. Um, I think that there was a uh, y- you'd think, given that it was always pr- pretty much guaranteed to divide people, mm. that they would go for a simultaneous worldwide release. Yeah, because they wouldn't want bird, uh, bad bird, bird what? Ah. Bird, bad, but... Because they wouldn't want bad word of mouth to spread. Yeah, because that... Certainly over, like, six months, if you're doing a slow rollout and then it fails in the States and gets loads of bad press, when it hits every other territory, that's mm-hmm. what people will be talking about. Yeah. Whereas if you release it, that's the that's one of the reasons why simultaneous releasing happens partly to beat piracy which is another thing mm. but also because uh essentially if you release a film that's probably going to be very divisive uh the best thing to do is just get it all there at once just so that the stink can't you know taint it in every possible uh location well, so, well have you seen any reaction from because it was it premiered at toronto didn't it i've yeah. seen um we're just looking it up on imdb there it got an average of 8.6, which meant it was fresh. Fresh. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I have read a, a quite a scathing review of it somewhere. Yeah, I've read some pretty some pretty damning reviews. But some the, there were two reactions from the AV Club's writers who were there, um, Scott Tobias and Noel Murray, uh, two very good writers. Um, Other writers are available. Yeah. Um, they, they both more or less said... They had sort of a similar reaction, which is that there's lots of stuff in it to admire, Mm. but that there are some kind of deep-rooted flaws in it that (laughs) it never quite overcomes, but that it's, you know, a film that's kind of a worthwhile failure. Yeah. It kind of was there, which I think is probably the nicest thing that people have said about it. I've not read any reviews of people kind of saying it's a kind of unqualified masterpiece. Yeah. They are all very much... uh, 
it's good, but this is what's wrong with it. Yeah. Um, well, you can tell me how that goes, um, yeah, <laughs> and I'll we'll find see. out in March. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Um, the last big film of the year, um, in terms of you know kind of budget scale and interest, is uh, Django Unchained, mm. um, which is the new film from Quentin Tarantino, and he is done a slavery film. Which is which is yeah, it looks like a Tarantino film yeah. from the trailer. Tarantino, he was the he directed one of the shorts in Four Rooms, didn't he? He did. Um, yeah. I, I want to always wonder what happened to him. Um, but no, <laughs> yeah, he back. he directed an episode of CSI. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah he did. So. Um, but no, I mean, I'm good I, to give him. They they gave him some work. Yeah, I'm not too excited by Django Unchained. I think I would have been. I think Inglorious Bastards had. Um, I thought that was amazing. Mm. It was a great film, and I think it restored my faith after the the grindhouse debacle debacle um and also the kind of he seemed to be distracted and and he kind of uh, just was trying to make a film that was different instead of um actually stopping and making a film that was good yeah um um and um i was really excited to see django unchained it sounded interesting from the thing but the trailer if you are to put any kind of uh, weight of expectation on such things um looked just a bit Slapped a little bit uh, by the numbers, mm. shall I say. Um, and I wasn't too grabbed by it. Yeah, I mean, I can see what you mean. I, I had a much more positive reaction to it. I, I am quite excited by it. But uh, it's kind of that thing you have, you know, whenever a Tim Burton trailer comes out now and you look at it and you go, yeah, yeah, that's what I thought that. Like when the trailer for Alice in Wonderland came out, mm-hmm. I remember looking at it and all I thought was, that is exactly the film I had in my head yeah. when I thought... Timber and makes Alice in Wonderland, yeah. and that's kind of the same feeling feeling you get from the Django and Chain. So, is, it, is this the studios um, making a trailer for us to um, reassure us that it's going to be something we know and comfortable for us to watch? Rather Maybe than I think representing what the film is going to be. Possibly, I mean, like, um, I mean, they did that a little bit with uh, Inglorious Bastards, mm-hmm. which kind of played up the, the comedy angle a lot. Um, and kind of didn't uh, obviously because there's so much violence and stuff in in Tarantino's films that there's only so much you can show. I think that uh, and also there's kind of the racial politics of Django Unchained could potentially. I'm sure it could be quite uh, sticky, a quite a sticky situation. Not in a Tarantino being insensitive sort of way, but kind of tackling the history of race in a very full-on way that you can't really get across in the trailer without potentially alienating people. Mm-hmm. So I think that maybe the trailer is, is the kind of the most accessible version of that story of, of the film that they can put out there mm-hmm. and that the film itself might be a bit more audacious. You'd hope anyway. Yeah, you'd hope. Um, also, a film that was going to come out around the same time, I think on Christmas Day, um, which has now been um, shockingly moved, is uh, The Great Gatsby 3D. Yes. Um, which uh, is based on a book which is quite famous called mm-hmm. The Great Gatsby. Um, and they have made it um, into a film. Baz Luhrmann's done it. It looks uh, all right. Mm-hmm. Cast is good. Director needs a hit. What, what what could go wrong? And it has been unceremoniously dumped from the yeah. awards season schedule right into the height of summer where films like The Great Gatsby don't tend to do that well. Yeah. So what what do you think's gone on there? Uh there's kind of two main ones mm-hmm. which you can talk which uh one is that the film itself is dreadful yeah. and that the the studio have seen it and they've balked and just been like we can't release this 
at the height of awards season. We'll we'll embarrass ourselves. Yeah. And if it doesn't get nominated for awards, then uh, that kind of like will cut its like legs out from under it because that's what you know films in the last sort of two or three months of the year need is you know some awards recognition kind of can add you know quite a lot of money onto the final tally you see that with you know slumdog millionaire and um the king's speech both did fairly well prior to getting nominated but then made huge amounts of money once they actually got their nomination and and won their awards Mm -hmm. um so there's a fear maybe there's a fear on that part and then if they move it to the summer even though it is a you know big budget literary adaptation it's probably not going to be judged with the same metric that the uh rest of the that it would be if it was released surrounded by all of the the big uh the heavy hitters of mm-hmm. the award season um the other possibility is that the completely superfluous and nonsensical 3d effects may not be uh in a decent state and that they are having to kind of take it back in to retool and then the only kind of time in the schedule where they saw that they could release it and it wouldn't get kind of like battered by anything else might be the middle of summer. Uh, I've got a third theory. Okay. Is that someone on the creative side, Baz Luhrmann probably, has fallen out with someone on the studio side mm. and the studio said, right, well, fuck you then. <laughs> that That is another alternative that could it happen, that, that, that there has been some differences of opinion yeah. and the studios have... Like it's a very odd thing to do. It For, is very uh, odd. That would have been a prestige picture, yeah. given that Moulin Rouge... I mean, Australia tried to go for the Oscar, um, uh, but didn't really... No. It fell a bit flat, didn't it? But, I mean, Moulin Rouge was very popular with uh, the Academy. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it won many, but it certainly got nominated for an awful lot. Yeah, and it, it, was very, it did very well uh, in theatres for, you know, a kind of very full-on musical extravaganza yeah and it was you know a huge thing on dvd yeah so i mean i think i think that is uh, that's one thing that could have could have happened but i mean it's just a, it remains a mystery to us all yeah we'll have to wait until next year to find out yeah um uh, of those theories which ones do you lean towards i think the last one just because i like the, the conspiracist in me okay. i don't think baz lemon's notoriously difficult is he no, I think he manages to... I mean, after making something like Australia, which was, you know, did lose a fair bit of money, yeah. you've got to be pretty good at working with studios mm. to actually uh, get them to agree to finance. I think the first the or th- the third one, I, I think the, the, the 3D thing, yeah. I think that they've got 3D down, they can post-convert mm. something really quickly, so... Yeah. I think that I don't think that's an issue. So I think it's probably either one unless, or one or three. Unless there's loads of effects for like you know the period details that they just haven't got down in time. Yeah, possibly. Um, we're running out of time before we move on. So um, we've got a lot of little films um, that we um, highlighted that we want to talk about, um, but not wanting to be reductive, I'm going to list them, Ed, okay. and then you tell me on a scale of one to seven <laughs> how excited you are to see them. Okay. Okay. Ready. Number one, The Paperboy. Uh, four. Four. Um, I would give that a six. I'm very excited to see that. Okay. Argo. Uh, probably a five. Yeah, I'd give it a five. Yeah, that's the new Ben Affleck one, which yep. uh, looks like it could be quite a lot of fun. Uh, seven Psychopaths. Uh, six. Seven. I'm going to oh. give it a seven. Come on, Ed. What's oh, wrong with you? Sorry. Um, so that's the new Martin McDonough film. Yeah, which does look like a hell of a lot of fun from the trailer. Tom it's... Tom Waits and a Rabbit. Yeah. Who? What more could you ask for? Um, Silver Linings Playbook. Uh, five. I like David O. Russell. Um, I'd say six. I like him more than you. By oh. one. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hyde Park on the Hudson. Uh, three. Uh, I'm going to say four. Okay. I know someone who's in it. 
So there you go. Okay, and that's um, the one with uh, Bill Murray playing FDR. That's the one. Which um, looks like it'll be a very performance-heavy one rather than yep. in general good. Could be Oscar beat. Yeah. Uh, and last one, this is 40. Uh, five? Five. I don't know anything about it, but I hated funny people, so I'm going to say three. Okay. Um, so that is, there you go, that's the guy to independent uh, what cinema. About, what about Looper? Oh, the, uh, Looper, seven. Yeah, seven. Easily seven. Um, that's out in two weeks, isn't it? Yes. Very, yes I, looking very much forward to it. Can't wait. I'll give that seven. I'll give it eight. Give it a eight out eight. of seven. Well, it is it is uh, one that defies the laws of physics with its time travel, so I think we can defy math. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're, we're going to move on now and talk about um, the other bit of preview stuff um, for autumn winter, which is the uh, the TV side of things. Yeah, particularly um, American TV. Cause yeah, British TV is bullshit. Yeah, we couldn't really think of anything on British TV. Since the Crystal Maze has been off the air. Yeah. It's just been a fallow, it's, fallow it, time. It's been a very long decline. Yeah. Um, I mean, the EastEnders Christmas special, I'm sure, will be a laugh. Yeah, now Sharon's back. Yeah. Um, so we've got, um, notably, the one, the big thing, I mean, we do have HBO. Um, they've got their kind of, their second tier of shows are coming back. We've got uh, Treme coming back for its third season. Yeah. I didn't see the second season. How was that? Uh, second season had a lot more focus in the first one because they brought in uh, David Morse, who was in the first one. But he um, came in as a regular and was, and, and that added more focus because... His storyline was all about the uh, sort of wave of crime that hit New Orleans uh, as the uh, recovery was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was and it made for some very uh, powerful and and uh, in a couple of instances very tragic uh, happenstances. Yep. Some some characters didn't make it to the end. Oh man! Um, I won't say who, but there's a few that that didn't. Uh, but it was as with the first. You know, the music was wonderful. There was great. It was, it was great as a sort of slice of life thing, but mm-hmm. there was a gr- much more of a narrative sort of punch to it than the first one. I mean, I like the first season, but it it was patchy, wasn't it? It was. It was lackadaisical, even in comparison to, like, say, The Wire, which was never a very kind of plot-heavy show to begin with. Um, also, Paul Bork Empire is back. Yes, a, a series that I am about to start. Yes, <laughs> um, and they are. Is it season three? Season three. Yes. yes. Looking uh, forward to that. I am, yeah. I mean, I like the the first season. Uh, it was very much one of those starts slow, got gets very good, mm-hmm. uh, and the second one, kind of more of the same. Right. Uh, it still, for me, doesn't rank up there with, you know, the the great HBO dramas. It's no Sopranos, uh, which Deadwood. obviously to which or Deadwood, both of which it owes a heavy debt to. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I've got sort of similar themes, or you know, uh, you you Mad Men or you. Breaking Bad, it's not quite up that level, but it is It is a very good show. So mm. I'm looking forward to seeing where they go. Um, uh, and then uh, on Fox, we've got a show that um, I know nothing about. Uh, but, uh, well, I, I, yeah, I will say that I know absolutely nothing about the show. Uh, Fringe, it's about yeah. set in hairdressers? Yes, it's set in hairdressers. It's the American version of Cutting It. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> um, no, it's a. It's a. It, it's oh, we a should show. probably have pointed out, by the way, that David Mitchell of Peep Show didn't write the book Cloud Atlas. No, no, yeah, it's a different David <laughs> yeah, Mitchell. We're really sorry about that. Yeah, we, we got we got wrapped up in our own gag. Yeah. <laughs> didn't, I don't want to just out. just start this narrative of people who perhaps didn't know and assumed that that was the truth. No, no, no one relies on this show for the truth. Yeah, I hope um, not. So yeah, Fringe. Even that on. episode we did about the truth. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's a science fiction show started um, 
four years ago, this is its fifth season, so it started five years ago, about a uh, group of uh, FBI uh, specialists who investigate uh, fringe activity, which is sort of your telekinesis, your sort of, it's very X-Files-y, or in, in its early days it was very, it owed a heavy, heavy debt to the X-Files and it was very much of a case of week style thing. As it's gone on, it's uh, developed a much broader... Um, mythology and it's also become a lot more interested in sort of the emotional life of its characters which is kind of the thing that appeals to me particularly uh the character of walter bishop played by uh john noble denethor from uh, lord of the rings who punched omar sharif in the face as, as we were discussing off my hand yeah um and uh it's coming in for its final season it uh, how many seasons have we had this is number five right, it's got okay. a shortened season of 13 episodes because uh, essentially it's a show that fox the guys at fox love because it's got a cult audience who watch every week mm-hmm. and even though it's not a big one it's a consistent one and they make money off dvds and stuff but it uh it never came to life in the way that they would have hoped and it's quite an expensive show mm. so kind of as a um ki- kind of as a of a not not really a favor but kind of as a a tribute to how much they like the show they've given the creators a shortened fifth season to kind of wrap all of their plot up right. uh, uh which the, I think as far as the creators are concerned, is more than they were expecting. Right. So uh, they've uh, so it, they're kind of coming in for the for their final landing now, which will be interesting to see because uh, the fourth season ended with a lot of uh, big reveals and a lot of uh, things up in the air. Uh, so I'll be very interested to see how they sort of resolve everything. Cool. Um, and then we're going to round up with talking about um, what could be a fascinating. Um, season on nbc yeah. um their comedy schedule have got four huge shows um well shows that we consider to be huge and important yeah. um two of which are coming to a close one of which is in flux and the other one is you know pretty much is just being, is being yeah I, I was suggesting that parks and rec was the one that was in flux yeah and the community is being walked out into the desert with a spade uh, and yeah. being told this is far enough yeah um we have got the four start shows digging. yep start digging um we've got the shows um and they are uh, 30 rock which is coming uh they, it's his final season mm-hmm. um starts we have got parks and rec which begins this thursday yeah um on uh the 20th of october september september we're in september um and then we have uh, the uh, the US office, which all, I think which comes is, back the same night. Yes, which is also uh, finishing. It's finishing its last season. Someone is putting a bullet in that show, thankfully. Um, and then we have the Mighty Community coming up in a month's time. Yes, roughly. Um, now each of those shows um, has had their well, yeah, they're they're all kind of. It's weird to see them. They all seem like um, at such different stages of their development. The office has had. This is its seventh or eighth season, eighth. Um, and uh, it's a very, very good show. Um, I, although halfway peaked, through season six, a little while ago, it um, peaked, like you say, and after the kind of tension of whether Jim and Pam would get together was resolved, and then obviously they had babies, there wasn't really anywhere for them to go. Yeah. Steve Carell left the show, and we were left with uh, James Spader as a kind of um, uh, sexually aggressive boss, and the season seven which is the first complete season without Steve Carell, felt very, very, very different and did not have the same yeah. level of um, charm. Nowhere near it felt, it felt like a by-the-numbers show. It, it really wasn't very good at all. Yeah. Um, and they've decided, I mean, the showrunners left um, to concentrate on Parks and Rec. Um, and the actor who plays Toby in the show is taking a back seat, I believe. Um, so they are putting a bullet in 
in the show, which is you know good. But it's going to be nice because they're going to bring back some old characters and kind of uh, have this season be more a celebration of what was good about the show rather than it just being another season and then they just end because no one, no one liked it. Yeah, which I think is uh, probably the best thing to do, even if, you know, I think a lot of people basically say that they should have ended with Goodbye Michael, which, yes. unsurprisingly, was the episode where Steve Carell left. Yeah, I mean, it was a lot of fun to see that the last the last bit of that season where The Office tried to find a new boss, and they, you know, you got a lot of cameos, you got uh, Will Ferrell was in it, um, Jim Carrey was in it, Ray Romano was in it. Yeah. Um, it, it was a lot of fun to see those um, actors come in and, and play around. Uh, and then, but the, you know, Catherine Tate was fun when she was in that cameo. But then she comes back as a main character in season seven, yeah. and it was it wasn't particularly good. No. It wasn't particularly interesting. It wasn't particularly funny. Um, it was still watchable, which I think is it was, uh, which is a kind of mark of the quality, really, and the care that goes into it. But it didn't have enough of what made the office good in the first place. Yeah, um, and I think you know. Ripping the heart out of the show like that is is difficult to come back from. Uh, and it was kind of, people kind of knew in advance that things were that they were kind of trying to wrap things up because there were people on the show who were leaving for other projects. Mm-hmm. Like Mindy Kaling's got her own sitcom. Her own show. Uh, yeah. uh, they've 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 got a Dwight spin-off which is starting. Yeah, the farm. I think that starts in the spring. Yeah, or maybe yeah, the which has got. Uh, Dwight going to back to his family farm. Uh, the characters from which will be introduced in an episode of The Office. Excellent. Um, to kind of introduce everyone, one of whom is played by Badger from Breaking Bad. Love Badger. Uh, yes, I hope that that doesn't mean that they they're going to kill him off in the first episode of Breaking Bad Five. B. He's untouchable. I'd hope so. Him mm. and Skinny Pete, I really want to see uh, in in the reversal of their roles as the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern of. Uh, Breaking Bad. I hope they live and have long and happy lives. Me too. They should be a spin-off of Breaking Bad with those two. <laughs> Badger and Skinny, Skinny Pete and Badger, it would be called. I think Skinny Pete should uh, give up all the meth and uh, go and uh, have a go at uh, his music career. Yeah, because they, they make lovely music, don't they, in an episode yeah. of Breaking Bad Season 5. Um, we've also got uh, 30 Rock, which is coming to a close. Uh, that's also Season 7. Uh, yes, they're doing a shortened season, shortened season, finishing with a big episode, a two-hour episode with, or whatever. Uh, Brian Cranston's in this year as well. Amazing. I haven't seen past season one. I've come very late to the party to 30 <laughs> Rock. And luckily my housemate has just bought the first three seasons on DVD and I watched season one in two days. Um, and I'm very much enjoying it. Um, so I'll be sad to see it go after yeah. seeing 21 episodes of it. <laughs> uh, so, But hopefully by the time that finishes, I would have caught up with all of uh, 30 Rock um, but are you are you up with Thirty Rock? Have you seen them? All? Uh, I'm fairly up with it. I think I've not seen all of five and six, but mm. I've seen all. I've seen f- big chunks of both. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it, it remained a, a very good show. Uh, I think it kind of peaks in the first three seasons. I I'm, I don't know if I could say which one of those three is the best season, but there as as a kind of a collective bunch of you know fifty odd episodes. It's an ama- It's a great run of comedy, and there are some absolutely amazing moments. Yeah. Uh, and subsequently, they sometimes struggle to kind of figure out what to do with some characters. They kind of uh, Kenneth, who's a, a highlight in the early seasons. Later on, it kind they kind of don't know how to go beyond his shtick, really. Right. But he's still he's still you know a very funny character. That shtick is still funny. Yeah, that is still funny. It's just not as there's sometimes they lean a little too heavily on him right uh which can get a bit grating so it's uh it's it's not a show that's kind of dying Mm -hmm. but it's one that you kind of think that if they stretch it out for too long they are going to it's gonna eventually kind of really fall off in quality 
So I think that you'd hope, you know, them going into to it knowing that it's ending, that they'll kind of really kind of go for broke and try and deliver like the the as funny a thirteen episodes as they've done the rest of the time. Cool. Um, and Parks Parks and Rec is is now is is the heir to the throne, isn't it? Really, it's the mm. one that's going to step up and and kind of fill that void. The established show. I mean, it's entering its fourth, fifth, fourth, fifth, fifth season. Um, the fourth season ended with uh, Leslie Nope. She's running for governor. No, she's running for a part on the um, city council. City council, yes. So it's a low, um, it's it's sort of low level government, but it's uh, you know a position of power beyond what she's kind of used to being yep. in the parks department. I'm hugely excited mm. for the return of Parks and Rec because in the last two seasons, especially the first season was very patchy. It took yeah. a lot. It didn't really know what it was the first season, and then second season was a lot stronger, and the third and fourth seasons are very very strong yeah um so much so that it's probably the the most consistently good sitcom on american tv at the minute yeah if you um, go if you just if you look at it from the gay penguin episode which is the first episode of amazing. season two yeah which fe- still features my favorite ever one of my favorite ever sight gags which is it's flipper and eve not flipper and steve <laughs> <laughs> written um, on their cave wall there was um um my friend, uh, sorry, a friend of my girlfriend's had a baby, mm. and um, he, called, he called him Sebastian. And when I was introduced to him, everyone's going, "Oh, little Sebastian!" <laughs> and I was just thinking, "It's just a horse, dude. Oh, yeah, it's just a horse. Yeah. <laughs> Am I the only one who doesn't get it? Um, <laughs> it's just a baby." Yeah, um, um, but yeah, he. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. what is tantalising is that uh, the actor who plays Mike in Breaking Bad yes. whose name I forget Jonathan Banks Jonathan Banks um, it's the same name as my friend right okay <laughs> which is how I remember it <laughs> my friend Jonathan Banks a little shout out to Jonathan Banks there yeah um, he is joining the cast of Parks and Rec as Adam Scott's dad yes now this can only be an amazing thing I hope that there is a scene in which he and Ron Swanson just stare balefully at each other. <laughs> you text me and you just said, this is what happens when two amazing worlds collide. <laughs> <laughs> and the results are amazing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. I, is Louis C.K. coming back? I love his character. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I would hope he's so. Kind of, he's kind of done, isn't he? The, the, his storyline about him and um, allegedly he's kind well, of Well, he was, he, he was coming back to uh, as a p- potential candidate for the chief of police. Oh, yeah. So that was kind of left... Uh, on the back burner so i'd i'd hope that he could come back and be an occasional character because yeah dave the cop's a great great character the kind of tragic comic character yeah. and the thing i like about uh about parks and rec is it's doing that thing that um malcolm in the middle also did which it kind of is becoming like a live action simpsons like in its best mm. because they have a a very specific worldview which is constantly expanding, but they can bring in like old characters yeah. just for like a brief appearance, uh, and I'd like them to kind of be able to keep doing that. I'd like them to bring Parker Posey back. Yeah, she was very good. She was very funny. Uh, I, I could probably watch Parker Posey in, in anything, really. She is in two episodes of Louis oh, this awesome. year, so I think you'll enjoy that. Cool. Um, but also, unlike a lot of sitcoms, and this is something that I think that why I think that there's greater long-term prospects for parks and rec than say um the office you know i don't think it's going to have the fallout that the office did over a long time is it's one that has kind of been willing to evolve and make like real substantial changes to the world of its show mm. like obviously the last season ended spoilers with uh leslie winning the uh the seat on the city council which obviously means that her 
suddenly there's this whole extra area of the show that they can now explore mm-hmm. that they never could again. Ben got his job working in Washington, so that's obviously going to... I'm sure they'll kind of snap back a little bit after that, but uh, that's uh, a big change that they have to deal with. Um, and in the past, you know, like having Andy and April get married and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a show that's kind of willing to make big changes and then play them out rather than just kind of at the end of every episode kind of uh, returning to the status quo. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they do now that they've made like a couple of massive changes to the way the show works. Yeah. So, that, I mean, that starts again in the next few days, so that should be uh, um, very exciting to yeah. see. Um, and then the last show that NBC are showing, which is... It could be the death knell, mm. um, but then could be a, you know a whole brave new world. Uh, is uh, Community? We yeah. have uh, season four of Community, a shortened season that is most importantly the the well the, the key factor about this season is that Dan Harmon is not running the show anymore. Yeah, the um, creator and and uh, somewhat obsessive showrunner of the of the series. So it's been replaced by. I mean, you'd expect when they replace a showrunner, they would bring in someone uh, a safe pair of hands, the John Frankenheimer, if you will, <laughs> um, to um, you know take it on and kind of do a job with it. But the guys they've brought in are two guys who are. Well, I'm not sure the experience-wise, but the stuff they've done, none of it's been a hit. No, I think, weren't they on uh, New Girl for a bit, which is was a hit? Um, they were like, they were. there's there's some, I'm pretty sure. But they not were, as showrunners, they were like no, they as writers or something. Yeah. But as showrunners, they're inexperienced and don't really have any hits behind them. Yeah, and also a lot of the key creative talent who's contracts were up opted not to get them renewed or had other jobs lined up mm. like the russo brothers who are the key visual talents behind the show aren't going to be involved with it anymore i imagine they've got something on the horizon yeah the rest of the moment <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so they've got uh and weren't the, russo brothers producers on yeah the they were produced because it said at the end that every episode always ended with a dan Harmon russo brothers uh debacle or something like that yeah. there was always a different thing to describe so, it. so this could be terrible this could be terrible for community this could be a, mm. an awful way for it to go out yeah i think that's always the that's the kind of possibility i mean the the the, the clear reason for it being brought back is nbc kind of giving it a last shot to see if it can become the hit show that but they're it giving it has. the poorest chance of conceding by putting it on a graveyard shift on a friday night yeah but at the same time um they're kind of doing it to get it to the full 80 episodes that it needs to go into syndication. Mm. Uh, so there's stuff, again, there's, there's a lot of things that could go wrong with it. I would hope that things... I'm I'm cautiously optimistic about it because, you know, that's, it's still a very funny cast yeah. who know the characters. There's they a, know the chemistry. Yeah, there's a few... The guys who are taking over say... That they're you know they're big fans and that they know that they seem to know their stuff about the show. Whether or not they have the talent to match is a different uh, question. But there's a couple of sort of steady hands behind it. Uh, Megan Gans, who was one of the main uh, writers for the last two seasons, has stayed on, and mm-hmm. she's kind of one of the real public faces of the show, which is uh, from a writer's point of view. So you know her presence kind of uh, has me uh, mollified slightly, but. It does seem, even if it is good, I kind of get the feeling it's not going to go beyond these 13. I don't think it's going to get the back nine. I don't think it's going to get renewed for a fifth season. I think the the thing about Community that could always be its saving grace is that the ideas in the show are so 
odd. Yeah. And they're, they're so daft sometimes. Like you have an episode that is an entirely a computer game or it yeah, is entirely yeah. claymation or whatever. That coming to it fresh, those 13 episodes could all be like just absolutely crackers. Yeah. One-offs. They, they could just kind of... They don't have to sustain... Yeah. They're under no pressure to sustain it because all they all they know is that they've got thirteen episodes to do as much as they can with it. So there's yeah. they, they could just go all out. Um, so yeah, I mean there are reasons to be cautiously optimistic, but at the same time, it's it doesn't look good, does it for community? Yeah, I think the the the, the big uh, thing with the with it being moved to Fridays, which is the graveyard shift, as you say, is it it kind of ends uh, three the that run where. Uh, NBC had like four of the best comedies on television all on the same night, mm. which is uh, it's sad to kind of see that end because you know it was really cool having Thirty Rock, uh, Parks and Rec, The Office, and uh, Community all on the same night. Uh, I think it's uh, and obviously now that they're all finishing, it's a weird new situation we're going into where. None of the shows they've got lined up seem that good, or like they could have the potential to be as great as those ones. Mm. Uh, which I think would be a shame, really, because even though none of those shows were like hits, The Office I think was in its early days, but then just kind of became a mid-level thing. Yeah, um, it'd be a shame if NBC stopped being having either popular. It, it no longer has popular shows, but if it stopped having good shows as well, mm. like it didn't even have that saving grace to it. Yeah. So, um, an end of an era, really. Mm. Yeah. I um, mean, a short era of, like, f- three years. But yeah. still... Is that an era? It's not an epoch. No, it's not an epoch. Yeah. I think it's somewhere between the two. Yeah. <laughs> an epoch. Yeah. It's an Iraq. <laughs> <laughs> um, weren't they in Return of the Jedi? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, that's our little preview. Um, if we haven't mentioned it, then it's, it's just not it's not worth looking forward for. Yeah, I think this is uh, very much skewed by our sensibilities, but our sensibilities are right. Yes, that is the important thing to remember about uh, Shot Reverse Shot at all times, that we are right, and um, yeah, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, um, uh, we'll be back um, soon with a normal episode, probably, and if not, some more mini-episodes talking about other stuff that's interesting. Is that about accurate? Yeah, that sounds about right. Nice one. All right, see you later. Bye. Bye.